decided to leave kind of ways that if you're only in one class, you'll get something out of it. But we will try to just kind of go through the book. Uh, so if you're in more than one, then that's what we'll kind of do. You know, the wisdom literature in the Old Testament, you know, Job, Psalm, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, is, is interesting. Um, it's a little more difficult, I think, to understand or to interpret sometimes. Uh, and that's certainly true of the book of Ecclesiastes. You know, you read some of the things in here and, and you think, man, I think there's probably more to get out of this than what I'm getting. And certainly I feel that way about Ecclesiastes, but I also feel like, wow, there's so much in this book that is so right. <laughs> you can see it, and I wish I'd have known it when I was your age. You know, I didn't know anything about Ecclesiastes when I was your guys' age. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of things that I've learned by experience that, well, we already had the experience in the scriptures if I'd only known. So I'm excited to get to talk about this with you guys and, and to see what's being said here. This is kind of set up as a narrator that's citing a whole almost book of the preacher. But the frame, the first couple verses and about the last six verses is by the narrator. And so you've kind of got a book within a book. That's just the way this is kind of presented for us. And so we'll sort of look at it that way. Somebody want to read the first two verses here of Ecclesiastes 1? The words of the preacher, the son of David, king of Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Okay, so... I don't, I don't know who this narrator was, but he's citing that we've got in this book the words of the preacher. There's some debate about what that word preacher means. It means an assembler, really. A lot of people think it means somebody who assembles people to teach them. Somebody, some people think it means somebody who assembled all the material that's being taught. But whatever, we're going to call him the preacher. And uh, what does he tell you about the preacher here? Son of David, King of Jerusalem. Yes. Now, I'm not going to debate the authorship. I have my question marks about that, but I think the most natural reading from several respects is that this is talking about Solomon. So, I'm just going to assume that. If you think otherwise, I, I won't try to argue you out of that. There are some reasons why it's reasonable to question that, perhaps. But I think the most natural reading is that Solomon, it certainly does seem in the book itself to reflect experiences that Solomon had. We know that Solomon was the wisest man that had lived to that point. So I don't see that there's going to be a big problem for us in thinking that it's Solomon for the purposes of this book. And I'd much rather look at what it's saying than debate you know, who may have, have been the preacher or whoever. So we'll just say it's Solomon, and if you don't agree, that's okay. Um, look at the conclusion. This is kind of a book that starts with the end. Uh, the, he cites the preacher's words that were kind of like how he sums up everything. And he really sums up everything in one word, and that word is what? Vanity. Vanity. Now, what does vanity mean? Meaningless. Yeah, meaningless, empty, something that doesn't have any substance to it. And uh, that's his conclusion about what? All. <laughs> Everything is vanity. Everything's empty. Now, it doesn't look like it. You know, I mean, it looks like, wow, there's a lot of stuff that's really something in this life. And if you got enough of it, it'd really fill you up. But he's saying, well, it's just empty. You ever try, you ever gone out on a cold morning and you, you see your breath? That's kind of cool, isn't it? 
You know, I go down to some place in Brazil, they've never seen their breath. It never gets that cold. You know, it's kind of weird to talk to them. They say they've seen it on films and things like that. They've actually, I've never actually seen it. But you know, I, do you remember when you first kind of noticed that you could see your breath? I don't know if you can remember back that far. But it's like, whoa, this is cool. You know, <laughs> do you ever try to catch it? Yeah, what happens? There's not really anything there. You try to catch, you don't get anything. That's the way life is. It looks impressive. It seems like, man, this is really going to be something. But you try to get it, and there's, there's really not anything. That's Solomon's conclusion after he'd examined a whole bunch of stuff, and after he'd lived life for a long time, is it all really is kind of empty. It's all kind of like your breath. It's a, kind of a mirage. You know, there's really not much to it. Now, the term vanity is used 40 times in Ecclesiastes and 33 times in all the rest of the Old Testament put together. So obviously, this is a big word in Ecclesiastes. And uh, when he says vanity of vanities, that's kind of the uh, Hebrew way of saying the most vanity. They didn't have a superlative, so they just did vanity of vanities. Kind of like saying the holy of holies. That means the most holy. So this is, it's just empty. It's really, really empty. And uh, it's, uh, it's all that way. You know, there's nothing that really will fill you up in this life. How do you feel about learning that? Kind of depressing. It's depressing? That's not what you wanted to hear, was it? But, I'm going to use my uh, favorite illustration, one of them, about this book. I have these illustrations that, you know, if you've heard me teach Ecclesiastes before, you're going to hear this for, you know. But, it's kind of like your, uh, your oven goes out. You ever had an oven go out? You're a little young for that. But, uh, you go down to the appliance store, and you buy this big appliance, this big box. You know, it says on it, R-E-F-R-I-G-E-R-A-T-O-R refrigerated. And you take it home and you put your food in it to cook. And guess what? Done cooked food. So you start messing with the dials and the gizmos and one thing or another. It still doesn't cook your food. You start, you know, beating on it and shaking it and, you know, kicking it and all that kind of, and it still doesn't cook your food. And somebody comes along and says, listen, Gary, I hate to break this to you, but <laughs> that refrigerator, it's never going to cook your food. Now, would the guy who informed me of that be doing me a favor, or would he be trying to hurt me? Why? I don't want to know that it won't cook my food. Why would it be doing me a favor? Save your energy. <laughs> yeah. You know, the fact is, he's not going to cook my food, whether I think it will or not. It's not. It's better off that I find that out. <coughs> and quit trying to kick it and beat it and shake it, and maybe I can find something out of it that'll do some good. Maybe I can use it to conserve some food. But, you know, it's kind of like finding out the facts sometimes is depressing, but you might as well know. It's not going to help you to still, you know, operate under the illusion that that refrigerator is going to cook your food. You're just going to spoil a whole bunch of food trying to cook it in there. You know, and so that's kind of what this is. It's really kind of disappointing. It's kind of depressing. But on the other hand, it's kind of one of those depressing facts that you better find out up front, and that way you're not going to try to get something out of life that it's not going to give you. And, and that's exactly how we need to see this. Now, there's a purpose behind this. In, in verse 3, he's going to talk about under the sun. 
What we're really saying is everything in this life that relates to this life is empty. Now what he's really trying to do is create in us a dissatisfaction and a hunger for something else. We need something to fill us up. It's not going to be under the sun. It's not going to be stuff here. And so if it's kind of like finding out the refrigerator won't cook my food, it creates a hunger for some other appliance that might. And so nothing here is going to fill you up. It's all going to be empty. It's all going to look like, man, this is really something I can really get. And then when you get there, it's just going to kind of evaporate. It's going to be like, whoa, well, well, what about this? Maybe it'll be that. Well, no, what about this? And maybe I just need more. (laughs) So we'll talk about those ideas here in a second. Do you have comments and questions on these first two verses? All right, 3 to 11. What advantage does a man have in all his work, which he does under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. Also, the sun rises and the sun sets, and and hastening to its place it rises there again, blowing toward the south, then turning toward the north. The wind continues swirling along, and and on its circular course, and the wind returns. All the rivers flow into the sea, yet the sea is not full. To the place where the rivers flow, they there they flow again. All things are wearisome. Man is not able to tell it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor is the ear filled with hearing. That which has been is that which will be, and that which has been done is that which will be done. So there is nothing new under the sun. If there is anything of which one might say, See, see this, it is new. Is it new? Already it has existed for ages, which were before us. There is no remembrance of earlier things, and also the later things which will occur. There will be for for them no remembrance among those who will come later still. Alright, so what advantage does man have in all his work? You know what value, what profit, what what residual uh, value is there? And he says nothing. You know, there's nothing you really get out of this life under the sun. Now, the phrase under the sun is used 25 times in Ecclesiastes and zero times in the rest of the Old Testament. So that's a big thing. It's limiting the field of investigation to under the sun. And his total goal is to make us look beyond the sun. Now, I don't know where we need to get to not have to look into the sun, speaking of that. But if you want to move over here where you're not having to look into the sun, you're more than welcome. Go wherever you need to to uh, you know, not have to squint kind of sick to squint. And if we have to, we'll switch it around and I'll look into the sun. But but I think over here you guys don't seem to be squinting, so. Alright. Um, now, he, he illustrates this with some illustrations from life that really point out an idea. He says the generation goes, the generation comes, goes, comes, goes, comes, and nothing ever really happens. You know, you live, you die, you live, you die, you live, you die. Yeah, that's kind of the way it is. It's kind of monotonous repetition. Or it's like uh, the sun. What happens in the morning? But the sun rises up. And in the evening? Goes down. And in the morning? Comes up. And in the evening? Goes down. And uh, how long has that been going on? Pretty much as long as you can remember. As long as anybody you know can remember. And that's kind of what you're anticipating happening tomorrow. And that seems to move a whole lot. You know, it's always going around, but it never goes anywhere. It never really accomplishes anything. That's kind of the way life is. 
you know, it's a flurry of activity, but it really goes anywhere. Or it's like the wind. The wind's blowing, what, this way now? And I don't know, tomorrow it's probably blowing back the other way. And then back this way. And then back, nothing really ever happens. Or it's like, I love this one, verse 7. You ever thought about this? I uh, have any idea the quantity of water that goes into the oceans or... You know, like, I don't know, the Mississippi going into the Gulf of Mexico, I think it is, isn't it? Uh, you know, I wonder how much water goes into the Gulf of Mexico from the Mississippi, like, per second. I bet a ton. You know, wow. And it's been going on for a good while. Reckon when's the Gulf of Mexico going to fill up and just kind of start overflowing? Doesn't it, well, why doesn't it do that, anyhow? Y'all are science majors. What, what happens? Water evaporates. Yeah, you got that water cycle business. So it never fills up. You got all this water comes in, it comes in, it comes in, it comes in, it comes in, but nothing ever happens. That's the way life is. A lot of activity, a lot of motion, you know, a lot of things going on, but nothing never really gets anywhere. Nothing's ever really accomplished, never really fulfills you. It's too empty. You know, it's kind of like, well, you ever, when you were little, did you ever go to the circus and ride the merry-go-round, you know, the ho- those horses, the carousel? You ever ride those horses that go up and down and up and down? Did you, did you like those? Seemed like you were really going someplace, man, up and down and around. But when you stopped, where were you? Same place. Yeah, same place you started. You know, a lot of movement for not going anywhere. Kyle, you know my son who's here this week. You know, he, he was a runner. And uh, he even ran some mini marathons. What is that, 13 miles, I think? You know, and Kyle would run these mini marathons, you know, and, and I'd say, Kyle, you ran 13 miles. Yeah, yeah. Well, where'd you go? <laughs> right back where he started from. It's like, Kyle, you couldn't run 13 miles. Go someplace. You know? <laughs> and, you know? We were just teasing each other. You know? But, but that's the way life is. I mean, you know, if we're going to do all this stuff, you'd like for it to go somewhere. You'd like to accomplish something. And it doesn't really do that. So, he says in verse 8, you know, all things are wearisome. Man is not able to tell it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor is the ear filled with hearing. It doesn't fill you up. A lot of things happen, but no real progress. Now, when you find that out, there's two possible responses. Here's the response most people have. You realize, this didn't fill me up. So what do most people do to try to deal with the fact that they weren't filled up? Eat more. <laughs> yes! I gotta get more! And that didn't fill you up, so what do you need? More! It's kind of like eating celery. I don't know if this is scientifically true, but I have heard that it takes more calories to digest the celery than what you get out of it. Have you ever been really hungry? You sat down to a big plate of celery, and you eat it, and if it's true that it takes more calories to digest it than once you get out of it, guess what happens after you eat the celery? They're still hungry. Actually, you're hungrier. And so you get even a bigger bite of celery. And you wolf that down. And guess what? You're hungrier yet. So you get even more celery and you start feeding it with both hands. <laughs> Will it ever dawn on you, you know, this just I don't think it's a quantity question here. I just don't think it's going to do. Or... 
I, I've never experienced this, thankfully, but I understand that if you're out in the really ocean and you get really thirsty, it's not a really good idea to drink the ocean water that's salty, because guess what happens? It gets you thirstier. It gets you thirstier, so you drink more of the ocean water, and it gets you thirstier. And eventually, I don't know, it kills you. <laughs> I don't understand all that process, but it like dehydrates you. It's kind of an odd thing to think about. But we get life, you know, I don't care what you're looking for. Whatever whatever you think might fill you up. You know, maybe it's money. You know, a lot of people are here. They get a certain amount of money, and, well, you know what? It's not good. I need more. So they get more. That's why I need more, you know. Well, you know, sooner or later we got to come to realization I'm not getting it here. It's like celery and salt water. It's never going to fill me. I might just get hungrier and thirstier and more and more dissatisfied. That's what he's trying to tell us about everything under the sun. It never will fill you up. I don't care what it is. It is not going to fill you up. You're not going to be satisfied because it won't do it. It's just, that's not the design of it. So, I mean, a lot of things happen in life, but nothing really changes. Nothing really new, nothing really productive, and nothing that's going to make you wake up in the morning and say, I'm really satisfied with this. I'd love to hear your comments and thoughts, discussion. What do you think about all that? Well, if it is Solomon's writing the book, we see he felt his own condemnation here. And we are so much like that. We're so quick to say, well, that's empty, that's vain, or that's sinful. We don't need any part of that. And then we fall to those things. We see Psalm, the king of indulgence, 700 wives, 300 concubines. Or was it the other way around? Hey, you were right. Okay. You see his lavish kingdom and all the gold and the silver. And yeah, God had granted him the well, but it clouded his eyes. And if we're not careful, that's what happens to us. We feel, we get to feel, well, we're so wise, we know what's right. We might smudge the line. And you know, it doesn't even have to be sinful things. Even, even things that are okay in life, that aren't necessarily bad in and of themselves. They're not going to fill us up. You know, they may not be morally evil, but if you're looking at them to satisfy you, you're going to be pretty disappointed. Good thought. Other comments and thoughts? I think, you know, just for young people, we need to realize that we can learn from other people. And I think many times we think we're smart enough, we know our situation better than anyone else, and so we're not going to take the advice of, you know, older folks or or people who have been in the same shoes as us. And we need to realize as we're reading this book, this has happened to a real person. This has, you know, happened to a, a person that was, you know, okay, it wasn't exactly like us, but he was a person and he came through the same, you know, things and, and li- lived life just like we're living life. And we need to realize that we need to learn from other people's examples. And that's the thing that we need to learn and realize before we even get into this book. Yeah, you shouldn't have to make the same mistakes everybody else makes. You know, Paul Earnhardt says you need to learn on other people's tuition. <laughs> you know, they paid the price and you get the, the lesson out of it. And that's exactly what we need. And, and you're exactly right. I mean, you know, and he's going to make the point several times in the book that, you know, he's really tried it all. I mean, the only thing you'll do if you try the same thing is you'll just repeat the same experiment and you'll get the same results. You know, better off not to have a headache. You know, 
uh, there's better ways to live than always dreaming that if you just had more of this, that, or the other thing, you get filled up. Good comment. Other comments or thoughts? All right, 12 to 18. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I set my mind to seek and explore by wisdom concerning all that has been done under heaven. It is a grievous task which God has given to the sons of men to be afflicted with. I have seen all the works which have been done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, Behold, I have magnified and increased wisdom more than all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my mind has observed a wealth of wisdom and knowledge. And I set my mind to know wisdom, and to know madness and folly. I realize that this also is striving after wind, because in much wisdom there is much grief, and increasing knowledge results in increasing pain. Alright, this is kind of the point we make. You know, he was king in Jerusalem, and he really uh, set his mind, in verse 13, to seek and explore by wisdom concerning all that's been done under heaven. You know, he really made an extensive search, an intensive search. And uh, his conclusion, you know, having kind of seen it all, having experienced everything, what was his conclusion? Meaninglessness. Yeah, it's vanity, empty, and he uses another expression that he uses quite often in the book. It's all what? Striving after wind. Yeah, chasing the wind. You ever tried to do that? No? Yes. Yeah, have you? Well, <laughs> and uh, did you manage to catch it? No. No. Now, what if Dan had managed to catch it? What would he have gotten? You know, I understand. I, I believe this is right. That after one of those hurricanes, I think Katrina or something like that, that on eBay they sold Katrina wind that was bottled. You know? <laughs> Uh, any of you really have an interest in that? <laughs> you know? <laughs> I'm not sure how they verify it was really Katrina Wind, you know? But it's like, you know, chasing the wind seems like kind of a pointless task. I don't think you'll get it, but if you did, I don't think you'd get anything. That's what Solomon's saying about life. You're not really going to get it, and if you did get it, you wouldn't have anything once you got it. That's his conclusion about everything under the sun. I know it's depressing. It's the refrigerator. you got to learn the depressing facts so that you don't have false hope. And so that you'll look to find some other appliance that might give you the fulfillment and satisfaction that you're really looking for. Now, one of the things that Solomon does in this book, there's two or three different kinds of things. We'll kind of talk about it as we come to them. One of the things he does is he sort of conducted like an experiment. Now, he was king, he was wise, he had riches, he had pretty much anything he wanted. And so he tried out different things that you might think, I think this will do it. And he sort of gives the results of his experiment. And one of the things he tries out, he mentions here in those last few verses of chapter 1. What did he try? Knowledge. Yes, knowledge and wisdom. Now, a lot of people think that's where it's at. You know, get an education learn a lot, you know, philosophy, psychology, you know, whatever. Just, just, if you really knew enough, it would really fill you up. You know, you'd feel so good about yourself, you'd really feel like you had everything under control. Well, what was his conclusion about that? Yeah, it actually didn't help. It 
kind of hurt because, well, he says there's, in verse 15, he says, uh, you got some crooked things that you can't straighten out. And you got some things that are lacking, but there's too many to number. And so the wiser you get, the more of these frustrating, wrong things you see. And it just gives you a lot of grief and a lot of pain. Because you find out a bunch of stuff you didn't want to know. Kind of like exploratory surgery. Sometimes you didn't want to know the results. You know, the more you learn, the more frustrating it is. Years ago, I, I don't know if you're too young to do this, but but any of you ever read Reader's Digest and knows what Reader's Digest is? Yeah, not many. But, but they had, it, it used to be better than it is now. They used to have, uh, maybe they still do, a section that's called That's Outrageous. It's mostly things that like stupid politicians or judges or, or whatever did that were like wrong. They were wrong. And I always thought, man, if I could be president, I'd read Reader's Digest every month and I'd correct those things. I'd make them, you know, do the right thing. <laughs> you know? And it's like the more you learn, the more things are wrong. The more you find out about life and about people and about situations, they're like, no, it shouldn't be this way. And what are you going to do about it? Yeah, I mean, many of those things, you're not going to do anything about it. You can't straighten out all the crooked stuff. And you can't fill up all the stuff that's lacking. And so the more you know, the more bad stuff you know. It's not really where it's at. You know, I wanna, I'll want make a point here about this. And that is, I am not against learning things. I'm not against getting an education. Not totally by my design, but my son's getting a master's degree right now. It's okay. I've got a bachelor's degree. But it really doesn't make a difference. It really didn't. You know, it's not, it's not going to fill you up. It's not going to, you know, it may help you if you want to do a certain profession. You're probably going to have to have whatever education it takes to do that profession. You know, or whatever. And that may help you make a living so you can eat. But you're not going to find fulfillment in that. It's not, it's not what matters. It's not going to make you a better person. It's not going to make you closer to God. You know, you're not going to find something that you're going to say, wow, now I'm satisfied. Now, we hear it all the time. It's probably one of the things our culture presses on us the most. You know, this is really going to be where it's at. Well, if you want to get an education, if your parents want you to get an education, I'm not going to say it's wrong. But I'm going to say, don't expect it's really going to, it's really going to do that much for you. It won't do it. All right, comments and thoughts on chapter one. I think maybe sometimes Gary um, tells about if, if some kind of fence or something that the wind would blow in there and it'd stir up the leaves and everything, and he'd run after it, you know, trying to catch that wind. And you know, usually you can't see the wind; it's invisible. But when you get that leaves and all there, you can kind of see it. And we might do that even with spiritual things we can see it oh there it is this is great this is spiritual and really we don't have anything because we're not looking at the right thing yes that's exactly right if it is an under the sun thing we won't get it and it won't help us if we do beyond the sun the lord and what's truly from him 
absolutely that, that's meaningful, not a philosophical. And that's where he's ultimately going. The last couple of verses of the book is, that's what, that's what really matters, and that's what will fill us up. But everything else, it's going to be empty, whether we think it will be or not. Good comment. Other thoughts? And I think that's the good thing about Ecclesiastes, is um, once we realize what's really important, then we can have that base in the Lord, and then after that, everything else falls into place. Uh, you don't have to worry about the, the more technical things. If you if you have a, a ground in the Lord, if you're grounded there, then um, you put on the attitude of striving to please Him and always glorifying Him. And you don't have to worry about the technical things in life, um, the small decisions and stuff. And so uh, Ecclesiastes is that that reality check, that reminder, that wake-up call to us that once we realize what's important, we can glorify the Lord and that be it. Good point. Yeah, you don't stress out about the things that don't make much difference anyway, because they're not going to make much difference anyway. <laughs> you know, it's amazing. You're, you've done that before. You've gotten all uptight about something, and then, you know, a while later you realize there's nothing anyway. What was I getting all uptight about? And that's true with everything here in this life. I mean, you know, there's some things that may have some consequences for a short time, but it won't last long in this life. We're going to die soon. I know it doesn't seem like it, but, you know, yesterday I was 16 and today I'm 51. You know, what will that make me tomorrow? About 86 or something like that? I don't know. Probably won't last that long, so. Good point. Other thoughts? Oh, we need to prioritize. We need to find out what truly matters. And things in this life, you know, comforts, they don't matter. They're not essential to your salvation. You know, God, that's that's what matters. And it's not only a matter of what matters. They really won't give you fulfillment and satisfaction either. You know, sometimes we act like, you know, we'll say, well, you know, these things aren't really, you know, they won't save you. That's true. But it's more than that. They won't fill you up. You won't be satisfied. You'll be empty after you get all that. And you'll think, I just didn't get enough. It's not the problem. They are inherently non-fulfilling. Learn that from this so that you won't be disillusioned that you put all that effort into getting something that still doesn't fill you up. I think this is such an excellent point. And you've seen it sometimes. I've seen it more because I'm older. And that is so true. And you see it not only in yourself, you see it in everybody else. It's just amazing. You know, it really is. I, you know, this is a very, uh, this is not the main point of the book, but this is a good illustration about uh, just just one angle of this. I was talking with a, a, a guy I've become really good friends with recently, and uh, we were at a Bible study, uh, and and this was just the other day, and on the way home, we were several people, he was talking about the NBA game, I don't even know if he's playing in the NBA at the moment, but, uh, but whatever, one of these playoff games, and he was going to go home and watch that. He's all excited. I wanted to know if I was going to watch that. I said, well, you know, I haven't seen that. I don't think I've looked at TV in the last few months. I'm probably not going to. I don't have time anyway. And then later on, it was just him and me uh, the last few miles home. And I'm like, so how are you really doing? He said, you know, I don't feel very good about today. He said, I studied and all that, but 
I just didn't feel very productive. I just didn't feel like I got very much out of it. I just feel kind of frustrated. And he said, you know, I'm gonna go home. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna really try to study and get more out of it. I'm like, what a day. He said, you know, he said, I, I thought about it and I realized if I watch that game, I'm just gonna feel worse. If I if I feel like I haven't been productive. He said, you know, I think I'd feel a lot better if I'd, I'd lock myself in my room and just make myself study. Now, that's just one specific application. But it's like, there's a lot of truth to that. You know, it's not long to watch a ball game. But does it fill you up? You know, if you're really depressed, is it going to really, you know, wow, I feel great after this? No. It's not going to do it. It may be fun. It may be fun to watch. But, you know, you're not going to be fulfilled because you become a great ball game watcher. Or anything else in this life. That's the point so far. Other thoughts? Alright, chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. Let's see some more areas that he experimented with. I said in my heart, Come now, I will test you with mirth. Therefore, enjoy pleasure. But surely this also was vanity. I said of laughter, Madness, and of mirth, What does it accomplish? I searched in my heart how to gratify my flesh with wine while, gut, while guiding my heart with wisdom and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the sons of men to do under heaven all the days of their lives. I made my works great. I built myself houses I plant, and planted myself vineyards. I made myself gardens and orchards and I planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made myself water pools from which to water the growing trees of the grove. I acquired male and female servants and had servants born in my house. Yes, I had greater possessions of herds and flocks than all who were in Jerusalem before me. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the special treasures of kings and of provinces. I acquired male and female singers, the delights of the sons of men, and musical instruments of all kinds. So I became great and excelled more than all men who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from me. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure. For my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my reward from all my labor. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had done, and on all the labor in which I had toiled, and indeed all was vanity and grasping for the work. There was no profit under the sun. Alright, let's look at some more areas of his experiment. And one and two, what was he trying? Pleasure. Pleasure! Having fun! Anybody ever think that having fun is the key to life? Plenty of people. That's where it's at. Now you get enough fun, you're going to feel great. It's going to really fill you up. Nope. Says, doesn't do it. Solomon had plenty of chance to have fun. So that's not where it's at. Verse three, what do you try? Alcohol. Yeah. And now, he did that really well, too. You know, if you can do alcohol well, he did it the best way. The best way is not getting thrown up drunk and having a hangover every morning. You can tell that. I mean, that's gross. He he did this, you know, with his mind guiding him wisely. And he became sort of a connoisseur of wine. And he used it responsibly. <laughs> well, what do you find out about that? Uh, I wasn't worried that either. Four to six. This would be my downfall. 
there is anything I think could fill you up in before the six, what is that? Yeah, accomplishments, works, achievements. And he did it on a grand scale. That's kind of what I think. Man, if I could just do enough stuff, if I could accomplish enough. No, that's not going to do it either. Even though he accomplished some pretty impressive things if you look at four to six. Then in seven and the first part of eight, what was it? Slaves, servants. And money. Yeah, riches, wealth, possessions. That's a lot of people think that's going to fill you up. Didn't do it either. Middle part of eight, what was it? Entertainment. Entertainment, absolutely. And man, people think that's where it's at. It's not. Innovate sex. That wasn't where it was at. You know, he tried all those things, and he did. He had, he had all these uh, things, you know, to be able to enjoy. He said in verse 9, Then I became great and increased more than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. And he did it wisely. You know, obviously somebody who just becomes an addict to this stuff. But he did it, you know, in proper proportions, all that kind of stuff. And, uh, well, you know, did he have any fun? Sure. Yeah, he did. Look at verse 10. He said, I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart was pleased because of all my labor. And this was the reward for all my labor. You know, he did enjoy some of the stuff he did. Have you ever, uh, you know, done something under the sun that you enjoyed? Sure, we all have. You know, different kinds of things that you like. It, it, was, it was fun, it was cool. His point is, when it's over, what's it like? really haven't made a big difference in your spiritual Or even in you, in your life. It's still like, well, okay. That was fun. <laughs> That's about all there is. I mean, you know, have you never done this? I don't know, I was a, a fairly young kid. I would be looking forward to something a whole lot. You know, looking forward to Christmas, looking forward to your birthday. I don't know, looking forward to whatever. And you, you get all geared up for it. Ever had that happen? What happens right after it's over? That was it. Yeah. Let down. I got started thinking, before the thing came, I got to have something else to be looking forward to so it's not such a letdown when this is over. <laughs> you know, I didn't really think about it in spiritual terms or anything like that. It's just like, man, I didn't like the feeling once it was over. You know... When I was about 30, a little old for this, but I got into uh, snow skiing. And you know, it's cool. Uh, it's fun. And I remember even, there were a few times I went on kind of some tr ski trips, you know, where there was maybe four or five of us. We went for a couple of days. We went to like West Virginia or New York State or somewhere like that. And then you, you look forward to it, you plan it, you talk about it. You know, you look at all the maps of the trails, and you do this, and this, and this, and this, and, and you're doing it, and I don't know, I, I'm not a super adventure seeker, but, but skiing's kind of, kind, of, uh, kind of a thrill, it's fun, I've always liked snow, you know, it's actually something I can do without falling down every time I go down the hill, don't look too good, but that's beside the point, and, uh, you know, and it's like, you know, it's kind of fun, it really was kind of fun, but, you know, 
I get back home. Fine. Well, that was fun. They just seemed kind of like, and I was expecting it to, I don't know, I was expecting it to feel different. I, I was expecting it to do more for me afterwards. I was like, well, it was fun. That's over. I just didn't have a lot after it. And, and, you know, I think most everything's like that. You know, you may be pleased with your labor. I mean, it may be fun. And, uh, but, but kind of the key to the pleasure is the repetition. <laughs> it's kind of like taking drugs. You know, never taking drugs, thank God. But, you know, from what I understand, what happens when you take drugs? Get addicted to it. Why? Because of nicotine. Oh, yeah, or whatever. <laughs> what, 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 what happens with the drugs? Makes you feel all nice. Yeah, but then what? Why? It goes away. Yeah, exactly, it goes away. You know, it's like, well, yeah, you have like a cool high, but then it's over. you got to have another fix. And I understand that. You actually have to start getting more and more and more to get the same high, to get the same effect. And it just kind of sucks you in. And, of course, you're thinking, well, if I just had more, if I just had something more exotic, you know, but you always come off of it. And it's more depressing than what it was because it didn't really do anything. I mean, and, and so everything in life is sort of like that. I mean, he says in verse 11, Thus I considered all my activities, which my hands had done, and the labor which I had exerted, and behold, all was vanity and striving after wind. There was no profit under the sun. That was really kind of a bummer. You know, the advertising agency about life is a whole lot better than the manufacturing department. You know, it says it's going to be great. It doesn't really produce when it's all said and done. It's fun, but no profit. It's empty when it's all said and done. Come in some thoughts. Just an example. Uh, like you get, uh, try to save up for something like, I don't know, uh, wants some paychecks and then you finally buy this thing and then you forget about it and lose it like the next day. And you never even use it after you're done. And uh, kind of looking back at those months of hard work, or I don't know what you did, kind of, you just realize how really pointless it was. Isn't it true? I mean, you know, it, it, I see it more than you do, again, because I'm older. But you've seen it. Things you were really looking forward to that you really thought, man, if I can finally get to this, if I can finally do that, if I can finally buy this. Was it really as great as what you thought it was after you did it, after you got it? No, it's not. And it's not like, well, I just didn't get the right thing. I didn't do the right thing. What he's saying is, you can get it all and do it all, and it's still going to be the same one. That's, that's the advantage he had of having all these resources and all this wisdom and everything he wanted. You know, all the power. He could have it all. And he got it all, and, well, still wasn't anything. Other thoughts? 12 to 17. So I turn to consider wisdom, madness, and folly. For what will the man do who will come after the king except what has already been done? And I saw that wisdom excels folly as light, as light excels darkness. A wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walks in, the dark, in darkness. And yet I know that one fate befalls them both. Then I said to myself, as is the fate of the fool, it will also befall me. 
Why then have I been ex I, have I been extremely wise? So I said to myself, This too is vanity. For there is no lasting remembrance of the wise man as with the fool, inasmuch as in the coming days all will be forgotten, and how the wise man and the fool alike die. So I hated life, for the work which had been done under the sun was grievous to me, because everything is futility and striking attributes. Okay. So, here's another area that he experimented with and, and, and kind of talked about, and that's again wisdom. Now, he had a lot of wisdom. And uh, what, what was he, what would he say? Better to live life with wisdom or without wisdom? Wisdom. Why? What's he say? Like comparing light and darkness. Better. Yeah, I like verse 14. The wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. You know, wisdom sheds some light on life. You get along in life with fewer bruises if you live with wisdom than if you're a fool. Because you can see better can avoid the obstacles, you know. So, I mean, if your choice is living life in a knowledgeable, wise way, or living life as an idiot, hey, by all means, choose wisdom. So he's not trying to, you know, just down wisdom in itself. It's not a bad thing in this life. You can see that. But what's the, what's the ultimate advantage of wisdom? You still die. Well, what's the difference between the death of a wise man and the death of a fool? There is no difference. <laughs> That's frustrating. <laughs> you know, when, it, when, it, when it's all said and done, there's no difference. <laughs> they both die. I mean, which one decomposes faster? <laughs> you know, <laughs> death is sort of the great leveler. It kind of puts everybody back on the same plane, and it's where we're all going. You have two choices in life may not be your choice, but there's two options that will take place. Either you're going to get old or you're going to die young. Those are pretty much your two options. And uh, still you're going to die. And uh, wise man and fool die a lot. You don't really have anything to show for it. Um, you know, if every card in your hand is going to get trumped, does it really make much difference what you play? You're going to die, and it's over, and you don't have anything. Does it really make much difference what you had? You know, some of you heard me use this illustration, but I love this. I heard it from Don Truex. I have no idea where he got it. But about the 12-year-old who loved to play Monopoly with Grandpa. You know, and, uh, well, you know, as a 12-year-old, he never won. But he still liked to play. Until one day, he beat Grandpa Monopoly. It was his best day ever. He just had, man, it was so exciting. He just jumped up and down and celebrated. He ran and got Grandma and drug her in there to see his hotels and houses and properties and all that kind of stuff. It was just tremendous. He won. He beat Grandpa. Can you imagine that? That's exciting for a 12-year-old. You finally beat Grandpa Monopoly. For about 15 or 20 minutes, Grandpa let him have his own private, uh, you know, party. And then Grandpa said, Now, grandson, put it all back in the box. 
<laughs> it's over. That's life. Now it goes back in the box. That's the thing. Uh, yeah, I mean, wow, wisdom's better than foolishness, absolutely. But in the, in the end, it doesn't make any difference. It's so, I think death is the one thing. That there's more than anything else, the overriding factor that just makes you see this life is it. No matter what you do, no matter what you get, no matter who you are, you die, it's gone. So wisdom is great, right? He says, you know, so I hate the Bible. For the work which has been done under the sun was grievous to me, because everything's futility is driving after the wind. And he tried it all. He said in verse 12, no need to repeat my experiment. <laughs> you know, the results will be the same. It's just it. It just, it just hated life. It made him so angry and so upset when he stopped and realized, through all this, there's nothing. Now, I want to again say, not all of you are going to be here for the rest of these classes. There's a point to this, and the point is, life is a refrigerator. It will not cook your food. It will not fill you up, but the Lord will. Serving the Lord, giving yourself to Him, you, that will fill you up. That'll give you meaning. That'll give you purpose. That'll give you substance. He never says about life beyond the sun that it's vanity. It isn't. There's something there. He's not even saying that it's wrong to do this. Is it wrong to plant a garden? Is it wrong to build a building? No, is it wrong to enjoy some good entertainment? Clean entertainment? You can find it. You know, is it wrong to laugh? Is it wrong to get an education? Many of these things aren't wrong. He's not saying, well, this is morally evil in every case. He's just saying, don't you ever think it's going to fill you up. It's still going to be empty. Some of those things you even have to do to get along in life. And some of them, he's going to come down to a conclusion that's going to surprise you. Some of them are like, best thing you can get out of life is enjoy some things out of it. As far as this life is concerned. But man, when it comes to something that's, that you're wanting, you know, something to really give you, you know, anything in this life, it's not going to be in this life. It's going to be serving the Lord. Comments and questions so far? 18 to 23. Thus I hated all the fruit of my labor, for which I had labored under the sun. For I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool. Yet he will have control over all the fruit of my labor, for which I have labored by acting wisely under the sun. This too is vanity. Therefore, I completely despaired of all the fruit of my labor for which I had labored under the sun. When there is a man who has labored with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, then he gives his legacy to one who has not labored with him. This too is vanity and a great evil. For what does a man get in all his labor and his striving with which he labors under the sun? Because all his days, his task is painful and grievous. Even at night, his mind does not rest. This too is vanity. Wow. He looked at everything he'd done. How'd he feel? This is getting me nowhere. <laughs> so he accumulated all this stuff. What was he going to do with it? Die and leave it to someone he didn't even know. Maybe he didn't know him. He didn't work for it. So that person who didn't work for it, his heir, 
How is he going to appreciate all this? It is not the same when you get something given to you as when you have to work for it. You know these guys, I, I don't, I've never met one of them, but, but I hear the people who win the lottery, you know, get all these big bucks, half the time in five years they're broke. <laughs> Isn't that weird? Why would that be? Well, because if you didn't earn it, you don't value it. You squander it. You know, you accumulate all this stuff and you leave it to your heir that didn't even work for it, it probably, you're probably not going to appreciate it. Think about Solomon's heir, who was apparently his oldest son. Hello? Who was Solomon's son? Rehoboam. And what did Solomon leave him? Besides a lot of money, probably. Half the kingdom. He left him the kingdom. The whole kingdom is what he left him. How much did Rehoboam manage to salvage out of that? Half. Not really that even. How many tribes? Two. Two out of? Twelve. <laughs> I don't think he uh, exactly appreciated what he'd received. You know, that's the way it is. And, and you know, so it's just so frustrating. You know, I'm leaving it to somebody who won't appreciate it. And yet he's going to have control over all of it. You know, and it's just despairing. It's just frustrating. You know, what do you get out of it? I mean, you know, you can't keep it. You can't pass it on to anybody who's going to appreciate it. And you won't even be remembered. Tell me the name of your great, great, great grandpa. Anybody know? Your great, great grandpa. Anybody know? Your great grandpa. Nice. Do you know? <laughs> Do what? Fred. All right. And uh, did you ever meet Fred? Yeah, he's still alive. Oh, wow. Cool. That's not real common, but that's cool. Any of you know a name of a great-grandpa you've not met? Who? All right, great-grandpa Silver. You never met him? Yeah. That's probably why you <laughs> You know his name. Does he mean a lot to you? Do, you? do you think about him every day? No. Does it really mean a lot to you, all the details about his life? No. See, that's the way it is. It's going to happen to you, too. One of these days, you're going to die. In a few years, nobody's going to really care. They probably won't even remember your name, but if they do remember your name, it's not going to be a big deal. That's what happens. It's so empty in this life. Comments some questions. Through 23. Really is in our human nature to not appreciate the things which we don't earn. Uh, I had this stuffed animal when I was little. I loved this stuffed animal. If I was getting too old to just keep on sleeping with it, so I gave it to my little brother. He, he's still on the ground everything, every single day. He just wouldn't, didn't even appreciate it. And, um, you know, and so it, it really just kind of disappointed me, but I, I kind of see where Solomon's One of here. these little brothers or littler? No, stuff? littler. Right. <laughs> well, we would hope these guys wouldn't do that. With <laughs> yeah, they would, though. Yeah, I think Kyle still sleeps with one, so I don't think there's oh, really? a nature on that. Okay. You can ask him about that. Oh, okay. <laughs> Get it back. <laughs> Other comments? 24 to 26. There is nothing better for a man that he should eat and drink, that he should make his soul enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw that it was from the hand of God. 
For who can eat, or who else can hasten hereunto more than I? For God giveth to a man that is good in his sight wisdom, and knowledge and joy. For to the sinner he, he giveth travail, to gather and to heap up, and that he may give him that is good before God. This also is vanity and vexation of spirit. I bet this is not the conclusion you expected them to come to at this point, is it? And yet, seven times in the book, he essentially comes to this same point. It's clearly an important point. What's he say the best thing you'll get out of this life? Enjoyment. Enjoyment. Now, this fits in with another theme of the book. One of the themes of the book of Ecclesiastes is, okay, life is empty, but what's the best way to live it? Best thing you'll do in life under the sun is to enjoy the moment. Now, this is not saying it's going to be fulfilling to do that. The only thing that will have substance is beyond the sun. But as far as this life is concerned, what's the best thing you can do? If there's a beautiful sunset, what do you do with it? Enjoy the moment. It's not going to fill you up. Don't expect, don't try to retain it, but enjoy it. You're having fun doing something. What's the best thing you can do with that? Have fun. Enjoy it. Appreciate enjoyable moments. And don't expect them to give you anything more. There's two guys. Both are about to take a vacation. The first one. He worked all year saving up the money for his vacation. He was dreaming about his vacation. He was talking about his vacation. He was researching his vacation. I mean, it was like what he was living for all year. He had it all routed out. He went to AAA and got the trip ticks. He got all the reservations. He had all the information. He had everything, every detail. It was going to be the... It was, wow. His whole year was for that vacation. <laughs> How's that vacation going to be for him? <laughs> Enjoyable at the moment, but then... I bet it's not. What's going to happen? That could be what he expected. It's not going to be what he expected. It's going to be so frustrating. Oh, man, the first time something goes wrong, the first detour, you know, the first traffic jam, the first hotel, it wasn't what he thought. Oh, it's just going to be, because it's his life. He been all year into that vacation. It's never going to be what he thought it was going to be. He's going to come back home, exhausted, sunburnt, in debt, and really frustrated. Here's second guy. He's going to go on a vacation. You know, he wasn't really expecting much out of it. You know, he knows it's not going to really do much for him, but, you know, it would be nice to go on a vacation. So he's going to go. And, well, there's going to be some nice moments in that vacation. He's going, wow, this, that's cool. I enjoyed that. Wow, this is, this is fun. I enjoyed that. The person who can enjoy life is the person who serves God. Because he's not expecting out of life something that life was never designed to give. He can enjoy enjoyable moments because he wasn't thinking they were going to fill him up. He didn't think that was going to be his whole life. So he can have fun. It's a gift of God to be able to enjoy the enjoyable things in life. The person who doesn't serve God has to get something out of those things that they won't give and therefore they can never enjoy it. So his advice about this lot, enjoy it. Not as the main goal, but enjoy the enjoyable moments. That's the best thing we'll get out of this life under the sun. Does that make sense? Isn't that pretty profound? It really is. And I can remember times in my life 
what I've tried to sort of get something more. I've tried to kind of retain it. I've tried to store it up. I've tried to, you know, can I can I keep this? No, I can't keep it. A lot of things that are fun. But you won't keep anything out of it. Because they not they don't have any residual amount. It's just kind of the enjoyment of the moment. Wow. What a blessing that Solomon writes things like this. What a blessing that God inspired this to where we can really learn from. And we can, we can put our life into what's beyond the sun. And we can live this life in the best way. Comments and thoughts on all that. You know, you're talking about you know, just stuff letting you down, you know, whatever you depend on to be real fun, something like that. Well, you know, that's real true. And, it, and that can be, it could be like that for any, anybody, really. If you depend on, like, somebody, you know, who's a been like a real big spiritual influence that, you know, they send to and they're going to let you down. But, but the one person, one thing that won't let you down is God. We need and we can depend on Him. Amen. Yeah. That will fill us up and nothing else will. Good point. Other thoughts and comments? we got a couple of minutes. I don't even know how long we have. <laughs> but, uh, anybody got anything you want to uh, contribute to this? I think contentment could help with problem of filling yourself up. Yeah. Contentment is when you're satisfied with the little life will give because you've got the Lord. Yeah. That's exactly right. Only the Christian can be content because he's the only one who's got something to fill him up. So much better to serve the Lord. It's so much better to see these things. Well, let, me, let me throw out a pitch for this. Uh, how many of you had really studied Ecclesiastes pretty decently uh, before today? How many of you have studied? Okay, about close, not quite half. Do you see how good it is? You know, my pitch is there's so much fantastic stuff in the Bible that'll help us. It'll just be so good, and so encouraging. So by all means, you know, learn the books you don't know, keep studying. Keep growing. It, it is. It is so much better. Comments, questions. One thing um, a little bit ironic maybe is that you're Solomon doing all these riches and stuff, and way back when the Israelites wanted king, um, God told them, "Look, they're going to get all this fancy stuff. They're going to tax you." sons and daughters for servants and stuff. Here's Solomon um, doing that. You know exactly what God had told him would happen and saying it's all vanity. <laughs> so it's kind of vanity that they wanted a king. <laughs> Absolutely. You always think if we just had this. That's the that's the universal illusion. Other comments? You know the Saul, on Solomon, you know, in his days, you know, he was the rich, one of the richest kings. I think he was the richest king. Well, the the nation was so wealthy back then, you know, that people, you know, you know, we always think, oh man, that would be awesome, that big old silver, something like that. You know, they saw something like that. It was just, you know, just plain. Yeah. It's something, something normal. It's, you know, how, but how much, how many of us, you know? seeing a lump of silver like way over there, you know, we'd go over and get that. You know, I'm pretty sure all of us would. <laughs> you know, it's just, 
one of those things where, um, you know, you want something so bad, but once you have them, and you just get used to them, and you just don't care about them anymore. Well, you're exactly right. You know, I go to Brazil, and, man, you know, people, some of the people there live in conditions that they would think you guys are in mansions, and you just have everything. And then if they just have that, they never want anything else. <laughs> Doesn't work that way, does it? You know, no matter where you are, you think if I just had something more. You know. I, I will probably, uh, I'm just going to tell a couple of things here. I really don't know whether they're going to ring the bell at 9.45, but it looks like they're not. Maybe at 9.50, which will be three minutes from now. But let me tell you a couple of things. First thing you've got to know is I think they're going to tell us this.